Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have made a way to be before the Father. Lord, that you have made provision. God, I ask this morning as we contemplate our hearts, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would provoke us to good works. And Lord, that our faith will not rest on ourselves, but it will rest on you. Keep our eyes on you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark chapter 7, uh, we're going to start in verse 14 and just read together um, through verse 23. Just follow along with me in your Bible. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when you had entered the house and left the people, uh, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. So a quote from last week that we had, I just want to reiterate on this. The most basic type of legalism... So we're talking with the Pharisees here. We're looking at what the Scripture, what Jesus responded to them, how he responded. The most basic type of legalism and also the most devastating is the belief that we can be justified in the sight of God by obedience to the law. That is the most basic type of legalism and it is the most devastating that we feel that we can be justified by good works and by accomplishing the law. There is only one person who fulfilled the law, and that was Jesus Christ. So no matter what we drew, no matter what we strain to do and everything, that in and of itself will not save us. It is the work of Jesus Christ that he did in his death, burial, and resurrection, living a sinless life, uh, going to the cross because it's the will of God to do so. And so there's nothing we can do. In one sense, that should be hugely freeing. And so we, as usual, we're, we've got this paradigm. We've got this uh, almost like a pill, two pillars going on. We've got the God does it all, and we need to rest in that. And at the same time, he's called us to do something. What I do does not save me, but what I do is a reflection on an afterburner, if you would, to what he has already done. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said it is a thank you, like a postscript on a letter, thanking God for all he's done. So obedience to God does not save, but it is out of thanksgiving, it is out of a regenerated heart, a new heart that God has given us that we can do that. 
And so whenever we do good things, and it's not like, look what I did, God. It's like, look what you did, God, through me. Another way to say it is we are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. When God takes us and we are willing vessels, he takes up a scalpel, he takes up something like a surgeon would, and he uses an instrument to do a good work. And that's all we are. We're just empty vessels waiting to be filled. So we don't want to get caught up in legalism. We don't want to get caught up, what do I have to do to be saved apart from by faith. We must be people who understand that. Now, I'm going to wrap that up at the end because there is evidence, sort of that whole two-side thing. There is a tension. God, what God has done on the cross and the fruit of what we do because of what he did. There's a tension there. Uh, So look at verse 14. And he called the people to him Again, and said to them. So these are the outsiders. These are the people that just sort of go around. His disciples are already there. He calls them around and he said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Hear and understand. So you have to listen to hear, right? So you have to not just listen with your ears, sort of like sometimes husbands, you'll nod your head when your wife says something and you didn't hear a thing she said. I know it doesn't happen with you guys because you're great husbands without sin. It's great. Uh, But your wives have already dimed you out by their response. So, you know, I know that there's sometimes when I'm just sort of not listening. He says, hear me, all of you, and understand. 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But these, the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So he's, we've come off of the past um, couple verses where, and then even the past chapter where he fed the 5,000, he did all this stuff, and the Pharisees were wrecked because he didn't wash, they didn't wash their hands properly, they didn't do the right things, and so they got all nerved up about it. You know, and we do that too. If things don't happen the way we want to do, we get nerved up, and we create rules that maybe aren't God's rules sometimes, and sometimes it's just easier to do tradition than it is to follow after the Spirit. Did you hear that? Sometimes it's easy to do what we're used to do than be led by the Spirit of God. So he, he took them and they went and the Pharisees came and challenged him once again. And he, he challenged them back that they created rules to control people. And not just control people, but as an out. They created, last week we discussed, they created this rule where they didn't have to help their mom and dad because they had given all of their earnings to God. Well, it was a loophole. It was like a tax loophole that they used. And Jesus just pointed them out once again. He always goes to the heart. So this is a big point. He says, hear me, all of you, and understand. Nothing outside a person that's going into him that can defile him, but that which comes from within. Now, let me just give some parameters here. This doesn't necessarily mean that I can go and drink a gallon of mercury and, and put it in my body and, and survive. This is not what it's talking about. 
Some people just like to just make these uh, crazy arguments. Well, what does that mean then? I can just go eat arsenic and I'm good. No, he is pointing out that the Pharisees are all about the outward appearance. So if I had this baby bottle and on the outside it looked pretty good and there was milk inside of it. Have any of y'all ever made coffee before? And it took you a little bit, and it's good coffee, right? And you're all set. Maybe you stick your sugar in, and didn't you get the creamer out? And you pour it out. You know, everything looks good, right? And then it just curdles everywhere. Millions of little cream things going everywhere. Any of y'all ever done that before? The outside looked fine. The milk or the cream or whatever it is, it looked decent on the outside. But dear Lord, when you stick it in your coffee... It is a nightmare. This is somewhat of the same thing that Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. Your outside looks good, but then when I pour out what's on the inside, I see the reality of what's going on. So this morning, I want you to understand that at one part of this sermon, I want you to look at your own heart. I really do. And I don't want you to look at it and go, oh, I wish I was better, and woe with me, and oh my gosh. I just want you to have an honest assessment. What's what's it look like inside? I know we're all sinners. I'm not debating that point. But what does your heart look like inside? That's one thing I want you to look at. And the second thing is I want you to look at how you can talk about the gospel with people in your sphere of influence winsomely to invite them in and understand their heart issue. Because everyone has a heart issue. I sat at a wedding last night with a coworker. The coworker is not an atheist, but he is a strong agnostic. Strong agnostic. And the last thing he wants, really, is to hear Christian people talk. And he looked at me, and I, I can't even, I'm not even sure why he asked the question, but I'm a little sarcastic if you're not aware. But he's like, so uh, what are you anyway? I was like, um, you know, well, um, I look, getting a little Maoism, and, uh, you know, I just named off some world religions. And he was just like, whoa. And I was kidding, right? I'm like, no, man. And, and I was like, no, I'm a Christian. No, actually, but before I d- delved that in, he said, I, I just was wondering because Christians upset me. I'm like, that's what I am. I'm here to upset you too. Not really. And I said, but instead of going, why are you upset? It must be the guilty conscience working in you because you're a sinner. But I was like, no, why does that upset you? You get, it's like, open a conversation. Don't drop the Bible hammer on them and just start, you know, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in the heart that God has raised you from the dead, you shall be saved. Your sin is as as bad as a leopard's cloth around his arm that is falling apart. No, we're not doing that. It's sort of like, why are you upset? And he said, he's like, well, Christians always try to prove they're right. I was like, okay, that's fair. I hear that sometimes. But I asked him, I said, have you ever heard me do that with you? He's like, no, not you. It's like, okay. Well, there's one that you've met that's not like that. But then I was just like talking and he's like, he said he had a guy that was planning a church in town who came up to his door, knocked on the door. And this is what he was telling me last night. He's like, 
The guy was so nice, I almost considered coming to church. And that shocked me that he said that. I'm like, wow, because I'm going to be nice to you, and I'm inviting you too. (laughs) But he said that at the end, when he was considering, he's like, he looked at me, and he goes, are you saved? And he's like, I'm done. What do you mean, am I saved? And I know what the guy's heart was, but he had not built a relationship yet. He had not opened up a conversation that got to the heart. He was not winsome about the gospel. He was just sort of trying to ramrod it down. And as new believers, sometimes it is a classic thing. Some of you have probably been there and done that. You get excited about Jesus and you're railroading, steamrolling everybody. And they're just like, keep away from that guy or gal. They're crazy. And God still uses it. That's great. But as we mature... We have to understand that our conversation needs to be seasoned with salt. We need to invest and listen to people and their concerns. So Jesus was watching these people and he said, there's nothing outside that's going on that can defile them. And that probably shocked them. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So what you might notice, if you're looking on the app or you're looking in one of our Bibles Uh, Read for me verse 16. You see it there? No, it's shocking, isn't it? Is that like, there's no 16, right? Yeah, I'm here to tell you there's no 16 in these Bibles. So I want to explain why. Everyone's like, it happens a couple of times, and this is what I want you to learn from it. It happens a couple of times, especially in the Gospels, where you'll notice, and you'll be reading, go to verse 2, and you're like, oh, oh Lord, we missed one, you know? But it's not that. If you, if you look maybe at your Bible, there should be a little uh, italicized uh, alphabetical number or a number that'll explain at the footnotes on the bottom and say that, that this verse wasn't in the original manuscripts. So, I went ahead in Mark uh, 7 in the New King James. This is what it says. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. They feel like someone that scribed it over just added it from earlier on in Mark because that let he, you know, let hear what I'm saying, that is just reiterating the point. And so in the ESV and something, they're really stringent to look at the original manuscript and go with that. Does that make sense? So be, be careful to look and don't like trip out and don't flip out when a verse is not there. There's not many of them, but they, you will find them. But look for a footnote, look for an explanation. If not, go on Google and say, hey, what's up with this verse? And it'll tell you. So it's not a bad verse, but it just wasn't in the original. So if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Yeah, the, the disciples are hard-headed dudes. They've seen time and time and time again Jesus' work, and they, it just sort of did this. Bible studies in that for you sometimes? You just read the Bible, and it just sort of does one of these things. You don't really hear it. And Jesus got them alone in the house, and his disciples pretty much said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? 
This should give you all some hope. When you read something in Scripture you don't understand, you know, what does that mean? You know, that means you have to dig it out. And least um, they came and they asked the source. So verse 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? I hear a hint of frustration in Jesus here. Are you also without understanding? Where have you been? How can you not understand this? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? So I'm not going to get too graphic for you. I think you can figure that verse out. It's not the stuff from the outside. It's not the food you eat. It's not what the Pharisees said. Do things this way. Eat this certain thing. Do not eat of this. Uh, A lot of unbelievers will quote, I mean, oh, Lord, I just want to pull my hair out. What about all those rules in Leviticus? And I'm just like, oh, my. Can I just give you a card that explains it? But Jesus was the fulfillment of all that. And so he was saying that, look, you can eat whatever you want. It all ends up at the same place. But there's something inside of you that is insidious. There's something inside of you that is cancerous. There's something inside of you that will devastate your soul. And it's your heart. This morning I'll tell you, every one of us have a heart problem. We have a heart problem. Because deep down, unless we're focusing on the Lord... Our heart gets strayed to things. Our heart gets drawn to things. And we're going to go into that a little bit more clearly. But at the end of verse 19, Mark puts in uh, an explanation for the Gentiles. Thus he declared all foods clean. There is no more this food, that food, whatever. He declared all foods clean. So Jesus fulfilled the law and he told them again to explain further on that it's not what you eat, it's what's inside. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. You ever read James before? If you haven't read James, read some James. James will go on and it'll start off talking about things. It'll talk about uh, suffering and then it'll go into chapter 3 about the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison and it comes out of us. And we just want to blame those things on our circumstances. We want to blame other people for the things we said. You ever done that before? You ever just blame everyone else? Well, I got angry because of this. Oh, no, that's bad theology. You got angry because your heart got tweaked and what you wanted didn't happen. And the sinful nature, I think it's James 5, it goes into it's all inside of us that causes us to do things that we do not, uh, that are not right inside of the Father. So Jesus acknowledges what comes out of a person, that's what defiles them. It's not. It's not physical coming out of, it is the spiritual, it is the things we say, the attitude of our heart. I love Jeremiah, I used to make it my life first until I had someone say it was too negative. Jeremiah, um, it's not 29:11, but it says, my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, who can know it? Who can know it? We have to understand as a Christian that there is no one else that sins that is something that we can't do, that we're above that. 
You ever judge somebody before? Oh, I would never do that. I was, uh, I, I was in a car years ago. We went to a crack house. A lady had five, a bunch of kids. Her husband uh, was selling crack. Um, it was a horrific story. And I'm with this uh, more mature Christian. And I get to this place in the road. And I go, how could he do that? How could he do that? He's got five kids and a wife. How could he do that? And I was angry. I thought I was being righteous. This dear brother looked at me and said, Eric, it could happen to you and it could happen to me. It is the heart that defiles us. It's not necessarily our circumstances. We blame it. I, am, I can certainly blame circumstances, and I have blamed circumstances on my sin before. Well, this happened to me, and my childhood was like this, and this was like this, and these people at work were like this, and all this, and that's why I am. No. If I believe Jesus transformed my heart, I'm like I am because I am following after that old heart, and I'm listening to it, and I'm absorbed in it. Jesus said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. It is as if Jesus took a massive hornet's nest of sin. You ever seen this big paper hornet's nest? And just dropped it from a tree amongst the disciples and go, this is what your heart is warring with. Boom. You ever seen one of those fall and see what happens afterwards? They're all over the place. Uh, Spurgeon said this. Thoughts are the eggs. Uh, let, me, let me go back a second. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. The first thing is evil thoughts. Now, I get the feeling some of you, and, and I know I certainly have in the past, have gone, as long as I don't act on my thoughts, it is what? Okay. This is not what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, when uh, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. It is the beginning of your heart getting trended to some other direction. When you think, and as a man thinketh what? So is he. As you think, it doesn't mean a name and claim it. I think I'm going to be rich and I become rich. It's not that. But if I am thinking on things of God, I'm going to grow in things of God. If I get caught up in my sinfulness and these other things that come later, my heart is going to trend there. And that's how people get to where they are. It is often said, a man does not get, commit adultery because a woman rushes into his office naked and it just happens. That's not how it happens. It's insidious. It begins with the thought. It begins with the focus on the thought. It begins with role play. And, then, and this is where there should be such a concern about what you're putting in here. What movies you're watching. You can't just go, oh, it's okay. I'm strong enough. 
You should be thinking, as a man thinketh, as a woman thinketh, as a teenager thinketh, as a kid thinketh, so are you. You start focusing on that stuff, it becomes okay. You watch stuff that you see all kinds of promiscuousness on, all these things, and you just become used to it. You become desensitized. And you know what happened to Rome when they became desensitized? They put gladiators up to one another, and they fight to the death, and people cheered. We're not far from that. Sorry. We're not far from that. Because we have allowed... Our culture has allowed everything to be okay. And Christians have begun to digest, and this is what you're digesting that creates something within, not a food. You begin to digest it, you begin to think about it, and then you begin to act on it. Look at what it said. Uh, Ashley Spurgeon said this. Thoughts are the eggs of words and actions. And within the thoughts lie compacted and condensed all the villainy of actual transgressions. Say it one more time. Thoughts are the eggs of words and actions. So think of a a chicken egg, a bird egg. It's the beginning, right? Thoughts are the beginning of, of words and actions, and within the thoughts lie compacted and condensed. In my thoughts, it all gets in there, and it gets settled in tight, all the villainy of actual transgressions. Now, when uh, years ago, when Laura and I were doing a, uh, a juice fast, we, we ate, excuse me, we drank a lot of carrot juice. And what we really didn't realize at the time, that although we had a garbage disposal, the carrots, uh, I don't know if you call it husk, but after you juice the carrots, it, it has the core that's left. And we just sort of put it in the dishwasher, or the... Um, garbage disposal, it's going to go away. After about three or four weeks, everything just started rising up in the sink. I'm like, what's that? We've hardly been eating anything. Well, we ended up having to call a plumber, and they got one of those roto snake things out, and he goes, there was carrots, pieces, all in there. I know where that's from. Inside our hearts, if you give your thoughts action and you're like the hen that lays on the the eggs, the broody hen that sits on the eggs, it begins to give birth. You begin to think about it. You begin to focus on it. You begin to dwell on it. And you go, oh, it's okay. I'm not doing it. But no, that thought process will build And that egg will be incubated and grow, and then all of a sudden, something comes out that you don't want. And I guarantee you, most of you, if you have any age to you, have experienced that. As a man thinketh, so is he. Pharisees were looking on the outside. Very simple to deal with the outside, but the inside was horrific. Matthew Henry says, ill thinking is put first in this section. And unthinking is put last. So look at it. Come evil thoughts, and at the end is foolishness. See it up there? Ill thinking is put first, and then unthinking is put last. Sin begins with evil thoughts, but ends in foolishness. No longer thinking anymore, just doing it because it's all I know anymore. Because I've given birth to it, I've let it sit, 
and eventually those carrots in the line will get so condensed that they'll stop everything and you'll begin to do things that you won't normally say you would do and you begin to focus on stuff that you wouldn't do and you might be like an 80s song and go, how did I get here? How did I get here? Why am I like this? I don't focus on this right now so much as uh, us, but we have to be able to speak to that in our culture. We have to be able to speak to that with our coworkers. When they see the evil in the land, we don't just go, oh, I know it's horrible, isn't it? I miss the old America. Oh, I wish God would come back. No, we go, yeah, it is bad, and God said it would get worse. And why is it going to get worse? Because there's evil rooted in the heart. Unless we get a, it, uh, that solved, Jesus is standing like a physician that knows the cure, and we're going, I don't know what the problem is. There's marriages that are failing because we just go, I don't know what it is because we focused on the heart so much. We focused on the things in our heart that aren't right, and they've been transformational. So look at uh, verse 23. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. All those things come from here. So you can have a conversation with a, a person, maybe, um, maybe a person you're with, a person that's broken, and say, look, I understand, I'm broken too. Maybe they've done sins that you feel like are way out of your category, but you should relate to them completely. Look, I have done things I did not intend on doing too. I have looked at things I shouldn't be looking at. I've focused on I shouldn't be focused on. I've done this and I've done that. I had the same problem you do. You see the difference? It's not like, going. you need to get saved. I mean, yes, they need Jesus, but you have to help them unpack that the problem is in here. It's not an external problem. It's in here. And that's being winsome. That's being loving people and sharing with them. So Mark, in this, profiles Jesus as the one who, in contrast to oral tradition, is the true revealer of God. For Jesus can produce the inner transformation that the law requires but cannot effect. Cannot effect it. Jesus can produce the inner transformation that obeying and doing all the laws can affect. No amount of ritualism will help you. The Pharisees failed at it ridiculously. They were great ritualists. They were great traditionalists. They did the things that their forefathers said to do, but they strayed from Jesus' heart, the heart of God. And they began to do things, and they began to put tradition above the Spirit of God. Regeneration is much more than reformation. Regeneration of the heart is not the same as reformation. You can try to make a good heart. I mean, I'm not... You know, if you have a bad heart and something's wrong with it, you can't do anything with it necessarily unless you get surgery. If it's significant enough, you have to deal with it. If, uh, you know, I had skin cancer on my, my head and my back, it's like I could just leave it there like Bob Marley and die from it, or I can deal with it and, and let the doctors w work with it. But regeneration and renewal is what's important. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He gave us new life. He gave us hope that our old heart can be destroyed, and he creates a new heart within us. 
A new heart that enjoys focusing on the things of God, that worships God, that rejoices with God. A couple quotes up here. Mark labors, this R.C. Sproul, to clarify that the essential purpose of the Torah, or the law, and hence the foundation of morality, is a matter of inward purity, inward motive, and inward intent, rather than an external compliance to ritual and custom. The essential purpose of the law You know, it is about inside. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? It's what's inside a man or a woman that is defiled, not what's outside. Next one. My college friend, uh, Kelly Williams, said this. We must put to death two mindsets. One, I have to be perfect for God to love me. Got to put that mindset away. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to obey this certain little thing, and I've got to be mindful of it. Got to be perfect for God to love me. I'm not good enough to God love me. And when you hear people in the world say that, I've been a bad person, our first response is, you don't know my heart. I've been worse. I've been worse. I, I struggle with the same problem you have. We need to get rid of the mindset and put to death that I have to be perfect for God to love me. And second, it doesn't matter how I live because God loves me. Because God loves me. Doesn't matter how I live because God loves me. I had a friend in college, a lady friend, it wasn't a girlfriend, she was a close friend, who went out one night in Colorado and uh, met a guy, and he's like, hey, we can just go do what we're going to do tonight, and tomorrow we'll ask forgiveness for it. That's defilement of the heart. We cannot assume the grace of God. If we are truly believers in him, we're going to live well and flourish because God loves us. It's because of his love. So legalism of I've got, I can't do enough, I can't do enough, that's, that's okay. But at the same time, I can do what he's called me to do because he loved me, he saved me, gave me a, a new heart, took the old heart out. He's given me hope for a future, hope for eternal life, hope for the kingdom of God coming here. But we just tend to focus on our little worlds. I've done it. Just tend to focus on our little world and think that we can live just good enough. This is what we have to get good at talking to the world about. Christians this morning, let that sit with you. You do not have to be perfect for God to love you, but at the same time, you cannot sit and be um, a sterile seed in a pew and not be used because you're just going to default that God loves you. I would, I would say that if that attitude, that mindset's there, that you're just going to do it for whatever just because God just loves you anyway, you might have to get into the Word some more and figure out what Jesus said about it. It's just a fact. And over here, the world is waiting for legitimate answers from us. Not pat answers, not quoting a verse at them, 
not throwing a Bible at them. They're looking for a legitimate saying, hey, I am broken just like you. Let me tell you my story about how Jesus saved me. And he raised me with him to new life. And I have a hope in the future, and I have a hope for now, and my sins have been forgiven. Let me introduce you to Jesus. That's it. It's not the outside stuff that defiles us. It's the inside. We can share that with people, but we also have to know that it's a continuing thing for us. As a man thinketh, so is he. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus' words, Lord, that we do not have to be perfect, but we need to know the one who is perfect. God, I thank you that we can come to you and with our struggles, with our pain, and trust you with that. God, I just thank you even for answering some of those prayers recently for me. Lord, I, I ask God that we would be winsome as a people, that we would lovingly go out to the world around us and uh, just share how good you are and, Lord, what you've done for us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we get ready for communion? Communion is an opportunity to remember. It's an opportunity to rejoice. It's an opportunity to reset and just start fresh with the Lord. Please come. Come.